Our scripture passage for this morning comes from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 18, a familiar verse if you were here last week, uh, verses 10 through 14. Hear now the word of God. See that you do not despise one of these little ones, for I tell you that in heaven their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. What do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray, does he not leave the ninety-nine on the mountains and go in search of the one that went astray? And if he finds it, truly I say to you, he rejoices over it more than over the ninety-nine that never went astray. So it is not the will of my Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. Thus ends the reading of God's holy, inspired, and inerrant word. May he lay its eternal truths on our hearts this morning. Let's pray together. Lord, this is a text that challenges us today. Would you take from us a love of self? Would you replace it with a love for you and a love for your glory and a love for your message to be spread among the nations? Drive those motivations that you have for us home today and dislodge from us any selfishness that might hold us back from dying to ourselves for the sake of others. We ask for your spirit's help this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Last week I said something that I want to clarify. And here's what I said. I said this is not a passage about those lost outside the church. This is a passage about those lost sheep inside of the church. Those who are Jesus' sheep, but they are struggling. But I need to add something to that, which is this. That does not mean this is not a passage with evangelistic implications. Because not only does the shepherd love the flock that he has but he loves the flock that he is building. In John's gospel, Jesus speaks not of only of the sheep he already has, but he speaks of the sheep that still need to be brought into the flock. Um, they are on his mind, even though they aren't with him just yet. Uh, if you look at John chapter 10, verse 14, Jesus makes this one of the most beautiful statements in all the gospels about his love for his people wherever they are. And I'm sure once I read it to you, you're going to be very familiar with it. You'll be reminded of it. It's where Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. It's not the minister saying, I'm the good shepherd. It's Jesus saying, he is the shepherd. He says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. And here's what I want you to see. Jesus has an incredible love for his people, and he pictures those people as sheep that he is the shepherd of. But not all of those sheep as Jesus is speaking, are there yet as part of his flock. They are missing. They're away from the flock. Now, in the immediate context, Jesus is talking about the Gentiles, and he's saying the Gentiles are going to be brought in in the future. But he speaks more broadly than just 
using the language of the Gentiles. In other words, he cares about those sheep who are not yet in the flock. They are still waiting for the shepherd to gather them in. In other words, our great shepherd Jesus loves us. We are his flock. But we shouldn't think that his love stops with those who are in the church right now only. Instead, there are also sheep in this city. Let's get specific to our context. There are sheep in this city who are outside the walls of Evergreen and they're outside the walls of other churches and they need to hear the shepherd so he can call them to himself. They're on his mind too. So when we, when we see in this passage today, today the parable of the shepherd, I want us to think not of the complicated questions of, you know, what does it mean that the angels are always before the face of the father? That was last week. Uh, instead, I want us to think about something far simpler. I want us to think of the evangelistic dimension of what Jesus is saying. And I want us to think of his care for the sheep who are yet missing. And so let's keep it simple today with three points. First, the importance of the one. Second, the discomfort of the 99. And then third, the priorities of the shepherd. Not only does the shepherd love the flock that, that he has, but he loves the flock that he is building. So first, let's focus on the importance of the one. Um, the one is the missing sheep. The one who isn't with the other sheep yet. He's not in the flock yet. Not yet. Now, does that sheep become, how does that sheep become a part of the flock? Well, the word for that is evangelism. Right? The, 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 the sheep, this person, still needs to be evangelized. Um, J.I. Packer has a wonderful book called Evangelism and the Sovereignty of God. It's a great book. Every Christian should read it at some point uh, in their life. And in that book, Packer gives this definition of evangelism. And I like it because it's so simple. Listen to this. Evangelism is just preaching the gospel. There you go. You can memorize that. Right. Evangelism is just preaching the gospel um, when when, you know, the, the word evangelism is made up of parts. Right. Evangel is just good news. It's the word for gospel. And so if you're evangelizing, you are taking the gospel. You are taking the good news to people who need to hear it. Now, I'm going to read you what else Packer says, because sometimes we think to ourselves, well, I, I'm I would be a terrible evangelist because I've never seen anybody get converted i've never converted somebody we we basically think that we're not good at sharing the good news because we've never seen somebody fall on their face in front of us and get saved right there on the spot right and i bet the number of people in this room who have seen that themselves is very small and so maybe we write ourselves off and say well i can't evangelize well this is what packer says he says, evangelism is a work of communication in which Christians make themselves mouthpieces for God's message of mercy to sinners. Anyone who faithfully delivers that message under whatever circumstances, in a large meeting, in a small meeting, from a pulpit, or in a private conversation, is evangelizing. But the way to tell whether, in fact, you are evangelizing is not to ask whether conversions are known to have resulted from your witness. It is to ask whether you're faithfully making known the gospel message. So, so we are, when we are sharing the good news, we are evangelizing, period, regardless of the outcome that we can see. 
evangelism doesn't mean that we actually convert anyone because, well, we can't convert anyone anyway. Only God can actually do that. But it does mean that we present Christ to sinners. We are meant to be faithful by speaking to people of their greatest need and of the solution that Jesus gives, right? So we're not just delivering bad news to people. We are delivering the good news. If we only deliver bad news to people, we're not sharing the gospel, right? There's no good news in telling someone they are guilty or telling them that they're going to hell. That's not the gospel, right? That's the law. That's part of it. But they need to hear the good news too. Most of the time, people never see the fruit of their evangelistic work. It's so special if you ever actually get to see that. Most of the time, most of the time it's a seed that gets planted and then it grows up and it oftentimes grows up much later. Oftentimes there's a huge delay between when the seed gets planted and when it comes to fruition. That's one of the things Paul saw, right? Paul ministered to people and in 1 Corinthians, he talks about this. He says, I planted Apollos watered, that was, Apollos was another one of the, his fellow workers. Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives growth. Think about this. Paul plants the seed, he moves on. Apollos is the guy who gets to, to reap all of this stuff that Paul planted. So Paul doesn't even get to see, in many cases it looks like, the gratification of seeing people actually profess Christ or be converted. Instead, it's Apollos, apparently, that that gets to see that. And so Paul plants, he moves on, someone else works and gets to see the fruit. So, So we are meant to work and leave the results to God. We're meant to work and leave the results to God. Now, oftentimes what we do is we say, well, we'll leave the work to God too. (laughs) We'll leave the work to God and uh, surely someone will tell them, right, is what we think. And yet that's not what, that was not Paul's life philosophy, right? That's why Paul is beaten and shipwrecked and goes through all of the troubles that he goes through because he knows he's meant to work. He knows that we as Christians are meant to work and then God gives the fruit. Our our evangelism should be faithful, but we must not be obsessed with seeing the results and we must not be obsessed with making sure that, well, if we don't see the results, then it's not working. Or if we don't see the results, then maybe we're not really doing it right. So I just, I just want to press all of us to think about this. If you are already a Christian, God tells you that you have a responsibility to be a witness for the gospel that God has given to you as a gift. You don't have a responsibility to be the best. You don't have a responsibility to even be persuasive. Um, you, you aren't told that you must be able to confirm that you are successful. Um, you don't have a responsibility to do things that you can't do. But you do have a responsibility to be a witness. So here's the, the penetrating, I think that sort of the painful question we, we need to face. What is it within us? What are the internal barriers that make us so hesitant and slow to be the witnesses that God calls us to be? Now, I can't give a complete answer. I can't give an exhaustive answer. But I want to suggest to you two very large internal obstacles in our own heart when it comes to sharing the gospel in our own context with people that we meet. And we know they need it. What is it that keeps us back? 
I want to talk about one under this point. Then I want to talk about another in the second point. But the first is this. It's a love of ego. It's a love of ego. Um, Our love of ego is an obstacle to sharing the gospel. Uh, What do I mean by that? Well, we get in our own way. We naturally love ourselves and, and we fear what other people will think of us. Uh, and, we, and we're afraid of what people will think of us if we share the gospel with them, right? Um, it's really straightforward. We're afraid of being rejected. And so we clam up. Um, we're afraid someone will think we're weird. And so we freeze. Uh, we're afraid of someone judging us. So we stay quiet. We're really afraid of being rejected, right? For some people, that's just the, the worst possible thing that they can imagine, the idea of being rejected. And so, and so we don't say anything. Notice in all of those things, though, that it is a love of self. It is our, it's our ego that gets in the way, isn't it? And, and, and by the way, that, that, that's, that fear is an irrational fear because here's the crazy part. If you tell someone about Jesus and that person says, no, not interested, maybe, they, maybe they're really rough. They're not even polite to you. They don't even blow you off. They just say, no way. Get out of here. Here is how much our ego gets in the way. When that rejection happens, we are deluded and egotistical enough that we actually tell ourselves we've just been rejected. Right? We tell someone about Jesus they say no thank you, or they say no, or they're rude, and we go, huh, he just, he just rejected me. And it's a lie, because when someone says no to Jesus, we haven't been rejected. Who was rejected? Jesus. <laughs> Jesus was the one who was rejected. The one person who is actually being rejected, and his whole life was a life of willingly being trampled on and being rejected, The one person who actually is being rejected in evangelism is the one person in this situation who is willing to have it happen and willing to be trampled on and willing to be made a laughing stock. And we're afraid of what it's going to look like for us. So so in one sense, in one sense, it's not true because he's coming at the end of time and he's going to judge all people. So in one sense, he's not okay being rejected. But in another sense, Jesus is fine with being rejected. It's built into his plan of ministry that he will be rejected. Our refusal to to share Jesus is an us problem. It is not a Jesus problem, right? That's why I say ego is, is, is an obstacle to sharing the gospel because we get so hung up on ourselves we're so deluded about about that we think it's about us. But we're also foolish enough to think that rejection wouldn't be worth it even if it was us who was being rejected, right? We hold back from sharing because we think it's about us and we don't want to be rejected. And, and to us, it's not worth it. But Jesus was rejected. Jesus resolved that it was worth the risk of being rejected, didn't he? I mean, that's how you got saved, right? Um, this is why I, I want to draw your eyes to the one sheep in the story. Because think about this story again. The shepherd goes after the one sheep. Why does he do that? Because it's worth the risk. Because he cares about the sheep. He loves the sheep. He sees the value in the sheep. The shepherd has something that this sheep needs. He knows he does. And so it's worth the pursuit. He goes out into the hills. He has a plan. He's going to bring that sheep back. He says it's worth it. 
See, the importance of the one dominates the shepherd's reason to leave the 99 and go. It is because the shepherd has decided the sheep needs what he has that he leaves the 99. And this is where I really want you to, to, to let your eyes drift because this will bring us to the second point. The second point I want you to notice is the discomfort of the 99. Because in the, in the passage, I want you to see where the 99 are left. And you can let your eyes drift to verse 12. Because notice this, the sheep are in a situation of discomfort while the shepherd is doing his work. Now, I don't think I'm reading this into the passage at all. You could, you know, we could, we could do that without this, this verse. Just infer that the sheep are unhappy with the departure of the shepherd while he goes to gather the one. You could imagine that they're not happy. But in verse 12, it doesn't say that they've been left by a comfortable stream. They are not left in a calm meadow. They are left on the mountains. All right. I am not saying the 99 are in danger. They are not in danger. Our shepherd is good. Our shepherd has under shepherds that care for them even while he's out and and he's about his work. He he promises not to leave them or forsake them, right? We are the 99 and if you are in Christ's church and you trust in Jesus, you are of the 99. And you're not in danger. You're not left alone. We saw that last week, right? If and if you missed it, please go listen on the website, but the 99 are extremely uncomfortable and you might even say unhappy in this situation. They're not in danger, but they're unhappy. Right? They're not pleased to see where the master has left them, nor are they pleased to see him go off and focus on another sheep who has the nerve to be somewhere else. Right? Imagine the bleeding and complaining of the, and the noise of those complaints as they just pour over the mountains and pour over the hills. What about us? Bah. I could have tried harder. but These sheep are where we are probably at here, where we, we may expect life to be comfortable. And the sheep think, I'm in the 99. I'm set. I'm comfortable now. And then they're like, wait a minute. Where is this discomfort coming from? Right? We, we expect comfort, though. Even though we're not word of faith people, right? We, we, we aren't prosperity gospel people. We don't expect health and wealth. But we may think that surely if we do things the right way and follow the rules, things will still go well with us, right? We think, surely I'm doing things right. I'm following the rules. I, 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 I'm, I'm faithful. I, so now I won't have financial struggles or family struggles. We, we sort of, we don't say it. And if you asked us and you, you, you put us at gunpoint and made us answer, we'd say, no, I don't believe that. But then in our everyday life, we kind of do. We, we expect comfort now. I've got Jesus now. My life, my life should be smoother than this. Um, surely life will be like a, like a ride on a, on a lazy river, only with Jesus. You know, my life will be comfortable. That's what we think. We may not expect life to be comfortable. We may even expect, we may not just expect our life to be comfortable. We may expect evangelism to be comfortable, right? You, you hear the call to evangelism in the first part and you're like, okay, okay, but I've never found the right time. You know, we, you know, you could be like, pastor's going to tell us how easy and simple evangelism can be now. Two simple steps. No risk, right? 
We may expect evangelism to be comfortable, and that would be another reason why we don't do it. Or it may be why we expect others to do it. Because we expect to be comfortable when it happens. And so if it doesn't feel right, then it doesn't feel comfortable, then we assume that now must not be the right time. Right? We find ourselves in the moment where we could do it. We could start the conversation. We could talk to a stranger. Terrifying for me, by the way. I'm a classic introvert. Uh, I know no one believes that whenever I say it. Um, but you know, I relate. Right? We tell ourselves this is about to get uncomfortable. And so we hide the gospel under a bushel basket. We, we bury our talent so we can give it back to God later. Why? It just didn't feel right. It just, we, didn't, we didn't feel comfortable yet. Or we thought, we, we sort of projected and we thought they don't feel comfortable yet. We expect life to be comfortable. We expect evangelism to be comfortable. Let's get even more pointed. We expect church to be comfortable. Right? We, we may expect our church to be comfortable. We may actually make that the test for knowing that we belong at a particular church. Am I comfortable here? How many of us have thought that before? And we have, it's not like it's an insane thought. Um, we have very understandable reasons why we think that, right? The whole world around us is hostile to the Christian message, right? We are under assault from the world, the flesh, and the devil. The other six days of the week, perhaps we think the church at least, the church at least could be the one place where we can really be comfortable, where we're where we're attended to, where our felt needs are, are met, where we get taught and challenged, but still between those sort of unspoken guardrails that, that we might set up, right? I, I'll be taught, I'll, I'll be encouraged to trust in Jesus, but I won't be asked to give. Or, or I'll be built up and I'll be encouraged, but surely I won't be asked to sacrifice or give up my time or give up my hobbies or, or give up my, my plans, right? All of these may be features of our, of our life as Christians that we expect to be comfortable, right? Our life, our evangelism, if we do it, our church, right? And we think these things should be comfortable. And if those things are hard, then we think something must be malfunctioning. But what if discomfort isn't a bug? What if it's a feature? The, the New Testament talks about Christians experiencing comfort. Uh, comfort is a part of the Christian life. But the comfort that the New Testament envisions is not a smooth and easy experience in life and faith. Instead, the comfort of the gospel is entirely centered on Christ and what he has done for us. The comfort of Christ is the gospel, the gospel that, that, that gets preached and applied in our lives. Right? That comfort is something that the 99 have even while they're on the mountain and even while they're uncomfortable. They are a comforted bunch who may feel uncomfortable, even in an uncomfortable situation. But for the sake of the one, the 99 will need to be uncomfortable. Church, we need to embrace this. We need to embrace this. We need to embrace Discomfort. Right? I'm not being very seeker sensitive right now, am I? <laughs> we need to embrace discomfort. Let's be willing to be the 99 on the mountain, living with discomfort because we know our God is at work, because we know what kind of a shepherd he is, right? We've already experienced what kind of a shepherd he is. In the coming year, opportunities will come our way. Opportunities 
to sacrifice. Opportunities to not have things happen our way, not just in our lives, not just in our evangelism, but in our church. Opportunities to be those 99 uncomfortable sheep on the mountainside. Um, A way that we will have an opportunity to live this out in a a couple of weeks, we're going to have a congregational meeting. And at that meeting, uh, the deacons in the session are going to be presenting our vision for 2024. And because you're here today, I'm going to give you a spoiler and tell you what our theme for 2024 will be. Here it is. Thy kingdom come, that more people will hear, believe, and obey his gospel. But that title and that phrase comes from the children's catechism question regarding the Lord's prayer, right? Because in the prayer, we pray, thy kingdom come. And what is it that the children's catechism says we're praying for when we pray thy kingdom come? We're, we're praying that more and more people will hear, believe, and obey his gospel. So that is, that's what we are praying for as a session and as a church. And that's, that's how this church is going to be led in the coming year. That we would take seriously our responsibility as a church to see more people come to Christ. Uh, I keep saying that we're the 99. We actually have 175 members on the books at Evergreen. But there are over 100,000 people in Beaverton, at least according to Wikipedia, which I know I shouldn't trust. But there are over 100,000 people in Beaverton alone. Is there really a sense in which, as Christians who love the Great Commission, that we could responsibly say that our work in this area is finished? 175 out of 100,000. Do you believe that we have practically endless opportunities here that we have barely tapped into? I tell you, this congregation is at once a miracle, and at the same time, it's just the beginning, because there's more work to do. Um, And I, as a pastor here, and, and we as the session here, want you all to be persuaded of that as well. You are Jesus's flock. Will you embrace being the uncomfortable 99? Will you be willing to be uncomfortable for the sake of reaching more of Jesus's sheep? Are you willing to be on the mountain while the Lord is busy going out and reclaiming his lost ones? How central is comfort to the reason why you're really here? We're going to have an opportunity to love the one who isn't with us. But will we take that opportunity? That's the challenge. Would you be willing to give up comforts? Would you be willing to give up things that you might even love about evergreen for the sake of evangelism? For the sake of the gospel, are you willing to do things differently so that more sheep can come in? Would you ask God to start preparing your heart and start implanting in you now a conviction and a willingness to sacrifice your priorities, to set aside your ego, and to live uncomfortably for the sake of his kingdom? Now, third this morning... The priorities of the shepherd. I've already mentioned how, you know, we can get very self-centered, right? We can slip into thinking that life is about us. We can slip into thinking that evangelism is really secretly about us. We can mistakenly think that the church is about us. We can mistakenly think that rejection of the gospel is about us. You know, we just default to ourselves, don't we? 
But look at this passage. Who is at the center of all the activity, all of the work? It's the shepherd, right? The shepherd is the one who gathers the church. He's the one who gathers the 99. He's the reason the 99 are there. The shepherd is the one who cares for the church. The shepherd is the one who rejoices when someone repents. You know what doesn't appear to bother the shepherd whatsoever? The discomfort of the 99. He, he doesn't even move on it. <laughs> uh, think about it. They're already safe. They're already secure. Everything that matters has been taken care of. It's the lost sheep that he's concerned about here. You see, here's the thing. Jesus just isn't interested in making us comfortable. He's interested in comforting us. Right? First and second Corinthians. In first and second Corinthians, Paul is talking to this church where people have gone through the ringer. And he makes this observation that it's those who have, the, have been the most uncomfortable who have been able to share the most comfort with others. Um, discomfort is part of the plan. We all have to be less egotistical, less selfish, far more Christ-centered in how we think about our lives. And, and that's a challenge God has for us in this text, right? The this is a gospel reality that God is in the business of motivating. Why should we be more Christ-centered? Why should we be less self-centered? Because that's how we got saved, right? God reached out to us. God in Christ gave all for us. God has taken the initiative. And if you are a believer, then you're a believer because of the kindness of God in Christ toward you. You know, at, at one time... You were the one and all the other Christians were the 99 and someone made room for you and someone welcomed you in and someone told you the gospel. And maybe it was a parent as a child. Maybe you found out at a very young age. Maybe it was a parent who told you. Maybe it was a teacher. Maybe it was a pastor. But we make room for others because others made room for us. We invite others because others invited us. We risk rejection from others because Jesus was rejected for us, right? So in this, in this parable, Jesus seems to be saying something to us as the 99. God loves you, but you are not the center of the universe. God is at the center. It is all about him. He is still at work. He's still adding to his church. And here's what's really important. He's not going to stop at 99. He's not going to stop at 100. He has big plans. He's given you an incredible privilege, Christian. Yes, you are of the 99. But here's, here's where we really go outside the bounds of the parable at this point. And this is the limitation of parables, of course. You shouldn't try to make them do too much. But God has chosen to use the weak vessels like us to spread his gospel. Right? He actually lets the 99 be part of the ingathering of those who are still on the outside. That's, the, that's part of the role that we have to play because he's gracious and kind. Right, I've been talking about evangelism here, and actually we're going to keep talking about evangelism in the coming year. But let's just say the idea of evangelism is terrifying to you. Uh, let's say, let's say, let's say that you're insecure. Let's say you, you think to yourself, you know, I can't preach. We well, don't have to, but you, let's just say you just tell yourself that I can't do it. I don't know how to share the gospel. I don't know how to persuade people. Um, but let's just say for the argument, you can't do it and you can't learn how to do it. You're frozen. You can't muster it up. Worst case scenario, you just don't have it in you. At the very least, here's what you can do. 
You can invite them to church. They'll hear the gospel here. Won't they? Are you... You have heard these sermons. You have heard Matthew preach. You've heard David preach. You've heard me preach. You've heard Alan preach. You have heard what comes from this pulpit. You have met our elders. Is someone getting in here without hearing the good news about Jesus? Bring them here. I'll tell them. Our our elders will tell them. Uh, Matthew will tell them. Someone here will tell them. I'll tell you this much. There is no better place to bring someone who needs to hear the gospel than the church of Jesus Christ. There's no better place to take them. And here's the truth. All of us, all of us were lost in the darkness of our own hearts. All of us needed to know Jesus is a great savior. All of us needed to know that if we put our faith in Jesus, every sin would be washed away forever. All of us needed to hear that. All of us needed to hear that if we trust in Jesus, we will be washed completely and perfectly. All of us at one time were outside the circle and got brought in. And we needed to hear the promise that once we come to him, he will adopt us into his family. And he will never leave us and he will never forsake us. All of us needed to hear that. And that meant that we needed faithful people in our lives who would say it and who would stick their neck out and who would tell us. In our need, someone told us. They got uncomfortable and they did it. And now it's our privilege to do the same. We get to be part of the search party going out and proclaiming the good news. We proclaim the message and God does the rescuing. Isn't that incredible? That we get to be used by him to be part of taking the gospel to the lost sheep. The challenge is this. Will we resist it or will we embrace it? Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, would you transform us, especially if we love our comforts? Would you make your priorities our priorities? Would you rob us of a love of comfort? Would you give us such a love of your glory and your holiness and your fame among the nations that we will set aside what matters to us, humanly speaking, and embrace your call to love your lost sheep, the one that you rejoice over? Would you make us so eager to rejoice that we would share in that same rejoicing? Would you remove our ego Would you remove our own sense of our own importance? Would you remove our fear of rejection and give us big hearts driven and motivated by the grace you've shown to us? We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.